Heavenly Father, you have loved us with an everlasting love, but we have gone our own way and rejected your will for our lives. We are sorry for our sins and turn away from them. For the sake of your Son who died for us, forgive us, cleanse us and change us. By your Holy Spirit, enable us to live for you and to please you in every way. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Father, that is our prayer. And as we come to hear your word now, please open our hearts to receive your word. Give us the understanding. Change us all the more for your glory. Through your word, in Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Thanks, Meredith. The reading this morning is the Gospel of John, chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light, he only came as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, 
who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Thank you, Meredith. How great to have uh, the word read so well, but uh, with such distractions, thank you for persevering. Uh, if you're online and you can't hear, we've just had a huge downpour, um, so, uh, but it's settling down. Hopefully, we can continue. Um, well, friends, Christmas is, of course, just around the corner, is it not? Uh, which means we're going to be seeing a little bit more of the jolly old man with the red suit and the white beard. Uh, but what I want to do in this morning is to introduce you to the original St. Nick. Um, this is a guy called Nicholas, uh, uh, and he was born in the 3rd century, uh, and he grew up in a wealthy family, not on the North Pole. Uh, he grew up on the Mediterranean Sea, and he became a prominent Christian figure, uh, and he was a bishop in the church. He was known for his generosity. He came from this wealthy family, but he was known for giving away lots of his money to the poor, and, and uh, legends about him sort of took roots, especially in the Netherlands, apparently, where he became known as... St. Nicholas became known as Sinterklaas. Uh, is that right? Sinterklaas? Yes, excellent. Um, but one less-known story about old St. Nick was that he was part of a gathering of Christian leaders in, in AD 30, uh, 325, known as, you don't know the name of this, the Council of Nicaea. The Council of Nicaea. He was part of this gathering of Christian leaders. Uh, see, there was this massive theological debate going on at the time, and this council was called to hash it out. It was all sparked by this guy. He was a, he was a guy known uh, whose name was Arius. Uh, and he was teaching that Jesus wasn't really equal with God. Um, he, was, he was God's son, but he was sort of a second-tier being. Um, he was God's first creation. Uh, he, Arius had a catchphrase that he, his followers would say. Uh, they would say, there was a time when the son was not. There was a time when Jesus, the, the son, was not. Um, just out of interest, Jehovah's Witness hold a modern-day version of this teaching and um, some other groups that you might be familiar with. But the, the followers of Arius, they use this word, this Greek word, to describe the relationship between the father and the son. It's up there. It's a strange word. It's a word. It says homoousius. Homoousius. Rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? Uh, it's a word that means of a similar substance. That, a similar thing. They're similar, but they're not really the same. Okay, well, Arius's main opponent here in this debate was this guy called Athanasius. And Athanasius insisted on removing the I from that word. He got really, really caught up on this. Jesus, he said, was not homoousius of a similar substance with the, the Father, but not really the same. He said, no, Jesus is homoousius, of the same substance, the same being as the Father. Now, we look back on this and think, come on, guys, really? All of this drama over one little eye? Like, <laughs> do, you, do you really need to... But uh, we, we, we just think, come on, lighten up, right? 
But Athanasius knew that there was a lot, there was so much more at stake here, that this wasn't just a random theological debate for Bible nerds, you know, like this wasn't just some kind of random debate. If Jesus is not homo usius, God from God, light from light, true God from true God of one being with the Father, if Jesus is just similar but not really one with God, then according to Athanasius, we lose the very heart of the gospel. We lose any hope of truly knowing and being reconciled to God as our Father. So where does St. Nick fit into all this? Uh, Well, he was with Athanasius on this, and legend has it, hard to verify historically, but you might have heard this, legend has it that he became so agitated by Arius' insistence that Jesus wasn't equal with God, that mid-debate he slapped him on the face. And here's um, an ancient um, depiction of that event. Sorry, that's not to condone slapping Arians, please don't do that. Uh, But it it shows you how much a big deal this was for them. And also, hot tip, if you want to find out if someone's really Santa Claus, just ask them if they believe in homoousius or homoousius. (laughs) Well, for Athanasius and for St. Nick, the nature of Jesus was at the heart of everything. It was at the heart of everything. It was worth fighting for. Um, Athanasius wrote... This, the God whom I, whom I know as my Redeemer cannot be less than, oh, sorry, the Jesus whom I know as my Redeemer cannot be less than God. It wasn't a sideline academic debate. The salvation of humanity was at stake. Only someone who was both truly human, only someone who was truly human could pay for human sin, but only someone who was truly God could have the power to do that. Only God could reconcile us to himself. Only God could reveal himself to us. It gets to the heart, I think, of one of the deepest questions. If God is there, how would you know? How could you know? Is it really, poss- is it really possible to know God, to have a relationship with God? So long as we're just kind of creatures in this world trying to find our way up to God, we're just left in the dark. There's this unbridgeable gap between us and God. The only way to know God truly is not for us to kind of fumble our way around trying to find our way up to him. The only way to know God truly is for him to come down to us, to make himself known to us, and that... That is exactly what Christmas proclaims. That's what St. Nick cared so much about. That's why we sing good news of great joy at Christmas time for all people. Because light, the light has burst into this darkness. That's what the first chapter of John is all about, John's Gospel. Uh, it's a famous Christmas reading, rightly so. Um, John was an apostle of Jesus. There's two Johns here. John, the person who wrote this, and then he talks about a different John, just to clarify, John the Baptist. Uh, But John was an apostle of Jesus. And when he starts, it's interesting though, isn't it? Uh, A couple of the other Gospels go, when they start, they go to Jesus' birth. John goes much further back 
when he starts his gospel, he takes us right back to the beginning. The very first chapter of the Bible opens with these words, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And John takes that and he kind of shows us this other dimension to it in the light of Jesus. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were, uh, through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. Back in Genesis, you read how God created through his word. His word is an extension of his, his own power, of, his, of himself. He's God in action. That's different to us. Um, our words are very powerful, but they can't make nothing, uh, something out of nothing. So if I just say, ice cream appear, um, nothing's going to happen. Sorry. Uh, but that's fundamentally different with God, right? His word is such an extension of himself that it creates out of nothing God acts through his word. What he says happens. Uh, later in this chapter, verse 18, um, it explains this. He says, this word, the word, this word who was with God in eternity, who was himself God, this word is the one and only son who is God himself in the closest relationship with the Father. Friends, this is an utterly unique vision of God. Uh, it's what theologians have called the Trinity. God is a loving union of three, an eternal relationship of three persons in one being, Father, Son, and Spirit. And what that means is that at the heart of God is a relationship of love. It means at the bottom of the universe isn't darkness, but love. The eternal perfect love of the Father and the Son in the bond of the Spirit. And the whole point of this, this uh, what we're talking about here, this word, this light that shone into the darkness that first Christmas, is Jesus. He's kind of he's in on the act in all of this. This living word, and what's more, it just, he, do, he doesn't just come out of thin air. He's been witnessed to. You, uh, we saw that in verse 6. God sent this man called John, not the author, John the Baptist. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that all might believe, through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. So John was Jesus' cousin and he was a, kind of a big deal. Uh, people came out in droves to hear him. In, in another gospel, it says that John was the greatest of all prophets. And I think he, he sort of represents all of the Old Testament prophets. He comes as the last in this long line of proclaimers, of heralds who were sent by God to shout out God's plans and warn his people not to turn away. So behind Jesus coming into the world is this the whole weight of the Jewish scriptures, the Old Testament, summed up in this, in this one man, John, in his testimony, witnessing to Jesus, pointing to him, saying, here he is at last. The one we've been waiting for is here. And 
sort of branching out from that, what we, what we have in the New Testament, what you have in your Bibles in the New Testament, is the, also a witness. It's the witness of Jesus' apostles, uh, who Jesus gave authority to teach about him. Um, later in verse 14, we, we see that uh, John says, we have, se- we have seen his glory. So he's a witness of Jesus. Um, so John wrote some letters as well as his gospel. And this is what he says at the start of the, the first letter he writes. Really helpful stuff, I think. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. So friends, what you've got in the Bible, in your hands, is the written word of God, the witness of the prophets and apostles to the word of God made flesh in Jesus. The word of God made flesh. Apologies, I just lost my place. Uh, That word testifies to the word. Okay, but there's a problem in in all of this. And it's already been flagged in verse 5. Verse 5 mentions darkness. Verse 9 fills it out. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. This is a real shock. You're supposed to be shocked when you read this. You're supposed to feel this other kind of offense of it. So here's the scenario. God the creator makes himself known, and humanity says... Not interested. Um, we don't care. We'd rather not right now. Um, I think it's a little bit like a worm farm. Have you got, who's got a worm farm here? You open up the lid, what happens? They all, they all slink right away from the light, right? Uh, they don't light the light when, when it shines on them. Um, we don't like being exposed by the light, do we? It's a shock. But you can kind of, on one level, understand it, that this word is rejected. But what comes next is an even bigger shock. How would you expect God to react if this was you, right? Or how would you react? You know, if you, uh, you come into the world, you've revealed yourself to humanity, and they reject you? Well, I, I would just turn into a grump straight away. I would, I'd, be, I'd be indignant. How dare you? Well, who could expect what comes next? This supreme word, rejected by his own creation, speaks to rebels like you and me an incredible word of adoption. Verse 12, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of a human's decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Do you see what this is saying? This son who is in closest relationship with the father, this word brings everyone who receives him into that relationship, into that family. Not because we choose it, not because we earn it, not because of anything in ourselves, but purely because of his grace and his undeserved kindness. And friends, the only way, the only way he could do that 
The only way we could be brought out of our darkness and into his light was for him to become one of us. It's, it's like we're in a dark pit, right? The gospel is not Jesus throws down a rope and asks you to climb up out of it. You are too weak, the, the pit is too deep for you to have any hope of doing that. The gospel is Jesus jumps down into the pit with us. Jumps down into the muck and the mud to lift us up and carry us out. Verse 14 the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is the whole point of Christmas. The word made flesh, made kind of soft, made touchable, seeable made historical right there you know that you uh, this is so important and not not only that made vulnerable the word made vulnerable the word made um, killable um have you heard you might have heard the self-defense advice uh if you're walking down a dark alley and you get attacked you don't what you, you don't cry out help right what you, you cry out fire and then, every, then people will come out and help you. Uh, whereas if, if you cry out help, they won't. Uh, now, what's going on there? It's disturbing, right? That's disturbing. If you cry out help, someone comes down and they're feeling... That, that, it means they're vulnerable. They might get hurt too. They might even get killed. Friends, Christmas is the story of this word, Jesus Christ, who heard our cries for help and did come down. Not just knowing he might be hurt, but knowing he would be. He would be killed. He would make himself fleshy, vulnerable, killable. That's why Christmas always leads to Easter. The word became fleshy, dwelled among us, and was killed for us to bring us into the family of God so that we might know God. Not just know stuff about him but know him personally in the face of Jesus Christ that is amazing grace and that's why John can write in verse 16 out of his fullness we have all received grace upon grace grace in place of grace already given for the law was given through Moses grace and truth came through Jesus Christ Jesus is the overflow of grace is also the fullness of God's truth because in Jesus we truly do know God that's that's how John finishes the section verse 18 no one has ever seen God but the one and only son who is himself God and is in the closest relationship with the father has made him known I don't know if you're ever like this um, maybe you, you get in conversations or maybe you've said this kind of thing yourself you're getting maybe religious conversations and, and someone might say, or maybe you've said, well, I like to think about God like this. Or I, 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 don't, really like to th I don't really like that idea about God. Here's how I like to think of God. And maybe you're the philosophical type and you kind of love those kind of discussions. You see what this is saying, though? If God is God and you're not, 
then the really important question is not what you like to think about God, but how has God actually revealed himself? How has God actually revealed himself? And friends, Christmas is the definitive, once for all, historic answer to that question. To that question. Uh, I'm really, I've been really enjoying reading a book by a guy called Michael Reeves. It's called Christ, Our Life. I thought I'd share a, a couple of quotes. The first one here. Um, Jesus, Michael Reeves writes this. Jesus does not merely unveil some truth for us, some other principle of, or th system of thought. Like light going out from its source, this word actually brings God to us. In him, a direct encounter with God happens. Friends, Jesus is the one person who is qualified to speak with authority about God. He is God the Son who perfectly reveals his Father. Uh, there's this little scene later in John's Gospel, um, in chapter 14. One of Jesus' disciples, a guy called Philip, he says to Jesus, he says, Lord, show us the Father, and that'll be enough for us. And this is Jesus' answer in verse 9 of chapter 14. He says, don't you know me, Philip? even after I've been among you for such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? I reckon many of us have a similar question to Philip's. Maybe we wouldn't sort of speak it out loud, but I think we, lots of us actually have a similar question rattling around in our hearts and our heads. We long for some certainty about God, uh, about whether he's there, and if so, whether we can trust him. I mean, really trust him, really trust that he is good. I think one of the outcomes of Arianism, that system of thought we looked at at the start, that kind of trickle, has trickled down the centuries and is still with us today. One of the outcomes of it is, if Jesus isn't really God, then God remains ultimately unknowable. A, a transcendent, mysterious, distant, someone who wouldn't get his hands dirty by entering into his creation. And I think we can, Christians can, have a kind of functional Arianism sometimes. We can fall into a pattern of thinking or of feeling about God that he's not really like Jesus. Uh, that at the end of the day, he remains unknowable. Someone we can't really know and trust, entrust our whole being to. Uh, we can even fall into another ancient heresy. So here's your history lesson, point part two. Another ancient history, uh, an ancient heresy called Marcionism, which separated the God of the Old Testament from Jesus in the New Testament and sort of rejected that and said this is the truth. Uh, actually, we can find ourselves thinking in those kinds of ways. But friends, this is a truth that has been fought for 
and it's a truth that the, the scriptures clearly proclaim. And far from being in abstract theological debates, this changes everything for everyday people like you and me. It is a transforming truth. Maybe you're someone who would consider yourself an atheist, someone who doesn't believe in God. Maybe you're sort of interested, checking things out. So good to have you with us. I think this is actually the ultimate answer to the question of atheism and why I, I think you should not be an atheist. Because there is a word, the word, made flesh, who came in history as a real man who really died and who really rose again from the dead so that rebels against God could be adopted and brought right into the heart of his family. Uh, maybe you're someone who's kind of spiritual, searching, believes in some kind of God, but it's a vague thing. I think this... What, what we see here in John's Gospel will challenge that also. Um, the Christian Gospel is not actually about a vague spirituality. It's not interested in just abstract philosophical speculation about God. The wonderful news of Christmas is that in that manger lies the end of all our speculations. All of our kind of groping around in the dark, trying to figure out God. Because the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The one and only son who is himself God and who is in the closest relationship with the father has made him known. He has. Maybe you're a Christian person, but you struggle with doubts. Friends, in my time of doubting, this is, this is what I always consistently come back to in those times. It's why if you're a Christian, you can actually have absolute, deep, restful confidence that in Jesus, in Jesus, you do know God. You can, and not only that, you can know that he is good. He is good. You can know that he is your father. And that's not an arrogant thing to say. It's not an arrogant thing to say because it's true. Wonderfully, amazingly, incredibly true. The light has come. He is full of grace and truth. And to all who believe, he gives the right to become children of God. I want to finish with another quote from that book I mentioned. And I hope this is encouraging. It's certainly been encouraging to me. Um, the author writes this. Let us then be rid of that horrid, sly idea that behind Jesus, the friend of sinners, there is some more sinister being one thinner on compassion and grace. There cannot be. Jesus is the word, one with his Father, the radiance, the glow, the glory of who his Father is.
Uh, in a moment, I want to invite us all, I want to invite you, kind of as a joyful confession of this truth, maybe something that can be a faith-building thing for you. Uh, to join me, what we're going to do is actually we're going to say that creed that was hammered out in the 4th century. Uh, we're going to say it together, as Christians have done through the centuries, written by Athanasius and others. It's been a powerful summary of the good news of the gospel ever since. Uh, so this, this creed, the Nicene Creed. Let me pray um, for us as we finish up, though, and then we're going to say that together. We'll stand and say it. So let me, let's pray to finish up. Our God, we thank you that in Jesus Christ, you have come to us. We could never work our way up to you. We're in darkness, but the light has shone into the darkness. And so that we can know, we can know you as our Heavenly Father. Thank you that when we look at Jesus, we see you, our Father. Thank you that in him, we can have confidence and certainty and peace. Uh, fill us with a deep trust, we pray, in your goodness and in your power. And we pray this Christmas as we prepare ourselves for all the other things going on, help us to reflect on these amazing and wonderful truths and let them shape us, make us joyful and full of your, your goodness and, and peace, we pray. Uh, and we pray that for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, friends, let's stand and declare this together. Um, an old, ancient, wonderful declaration of what it is that God has done in Christ. So, friends, what do we believe? Let's say this together. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is, seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven, was incarnate of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and became truly human. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy, universal and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins, we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Amen.